Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of No Percentages Review Crew. This is episode 47. I'll be your host, Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for NoPro. And today we have... I'm Leah Hi. Davis. Ho, ho. <laughs> I'm still Leah Davis. You're New England. Um, I always forget the word. So uh, correspondent. And I'm a little bit obsessed with, with telephone shows right now. Hi, Laura Hess, the arts editor. Hi there. I am Blake Weil, your East Coast curator, and I too am pretty into remote right now. And uh, before we get to the remote segment, uh, we're actually going to toss it to Leah. Uh, a few weeks ago, she took a trip to LA, and I uh, know she did a handful of things out here, and I mostly want to hear about um, her experience with the Nest, because that's just a, a big show. I'm sure you got thoughts. Oh, man, I do. It was it was really fantastic. Um so for those of you that don't live in LA, I, I think if you can ever make it happen, uh, getting out there once every every couple of years is a great idea if you're really into immersive because there's just a lot of ambient experimentation going on um, attached to big name shows and people getting out and uh, creating smaller shows out there like within our walls, which is something I caught. Um, but for me, getting out to see the nest was just <laughs> the most important part of this trip because Anyone know how long it's been running? Um, since 2019, I think. Right. It opened in, like, I think October, late 2019. But then obviously there was a big pause there. And there was a previous iteration that was around, I think, in late 2017, I want to say, too. So it's it's been around in some form for almost five years now. Right. And Kevin, you did that, right? Yeah, I've done both versions of the show, actually. Well, I love to see a, sh- a show um, that works so well and is so small get such a long run time. That, that's a really special thing. Um, so The Nest is somewhere between theater and escape room. Uh, it's very contemplative and um, and... It turns out it was exactly what I've been looking for 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 more than a few years now. Uh, for those of you that follow uh, any of my writing, you'll know that I, I'm, I'm really into immersive horror, but I haven't really found something that's hit all of my sweet spots in the past. And what I'm looking for is usually something that's really ambient, that, that gives me chills down the back of my spine, uh, I don't want jump scares. I, I want a good story and I want to leave feeling kind of unsettled. Um, and Leah, can, yes. can I just say, um, just shout out to local Philly company Spectrapulse. Please come down here the next time they mount a show because you're just describing them to the team. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I like their stuff. So, so good. Um, and I will. Uh, and I'll have to now that the nest is closing. Um, so, so turns out I was looking in the wrong places instead of looking for horror. I really should have been looking at this, um, this kind of theater that's really meant for one or two people to go in without a lot of instruction, uh, that lets you explore and uncover a story almost like you would be doing in a, in a single person adventure game, something like mist, um, like a puzzle game. Uh, and you spend your time pouring through the artifacts of a woman's life and figuring out what was important to her and what happened to her. And it's much more 
elegant than just going through boxes of stuff in an attic. Um, it's designed, it's a space that really puts you in a physical manifestation of, of this woman's mind state. And it's phenomenal. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm almost in tears that I'm so happy that I got to see it. So th- thanks to Scout Productions for that. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So based on, I mean, depending upon what you had heard, because we've certainly talked about it before, we've covered it. I mean, we're big fans in general. And um, based on what you knew about The Nest, whatever you'd sort of heard, where did it either surprise you or exceed your expectations? Hmm. So... It wasn't a surprise exactly, but I was not expecting the escape room elements that, that I encountered. Um, and it was light, you know, looking for <laughs> for numbers to unlock certain things so that you could progress in the story. Um, that just wasn't something that was on my mind when I, when I came to the show. Uh, there was also a little more human interaction that was done really strategically and beautifully, I think. So that, that surprised me. So Leah, what kind of human element are you are you talking about there? I know there's like a unique hint system in the nest and there's some other maybe things, but if you can kind of talk about it without being too spoilery. Yeah, so the two things the nest does really, really well um, from a human interaction point of view is uh, the onboarding is just very human. Um, and they they bring you, the actor that you work with brings you directly into the story uh, very gently and confirms that you have uh, received your your invoice for the storage unit that you've purchased and then proceeds to walk you through how to access it and you know what what you might expect in there but um, kayfabe is never broken <laughs> mm-hmm. so so you're encouraged to immerse yourself right away but then the hint system oh my god goodness. Um, I got a handful of calls during, during my stay in the nest. And I realized that they were hints, but I never felt like it was intrusive to the experience. Um, I always felt like, oh, everybody must get this exact (laughs) or or a similar experience. Um, the hints never felt ill-timed. They always felt very, very organic. Um, and I just, I left feeling like I was an integral part of the experience as opposed to some dummy they had to lead by the hand. <laughs> <laughs> and did you do well, this solo or did you do this with somebody? Because it's obviously, it's designed for one to two people. I've done it twice and I didn't do it the first time on my own. I'm really curious if there's anybody, I haven't spoken with anybody who did it solo their first go round. I did it with somebody this time around. Yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, frankly, I'm not sure that I could imagine doing it alone. I think I would be too anxious about what might happen or what was around the corner, or what I might find. And Kevin, how about you? Did you do either? I'm just curious how it resonates for people differently or if it does. Did you do either? So both times I've done it with someone and it feels like it, it does feel like it's meant for, for two people to 
to go through. I know you can do it solo, but it just it feels like having someone to bounce off like the experience off of makes it a little bit more rewarding, at least in in my thoughts and opinions on the show. Yeah. Um but you did it solo, it sounds like on your second one. Me? Yeah. No, no, I did it with uh, oh, okay. someone both times, but but they were two different partners. Oh, so it was okay. Interesting. Okay, gotcha. The first time I went, um, it was a new experience for both of us, and then the second time I went, uh, my companion hadn't been through, so it was very interesting to see it through their eyes. You know, I I, I kind of held back a little bit so that they could have mm-hmm. maximum discovery, and it was interesting to see where, like, for her. Um, where she picked up on some things much faster than I or my partner did the first time or other things that got her like kind of hung up or, or just the details that she noticed. So it was very interesting to go through it a second time and see it kind of anew through someone else's perspective where again, it was that full, um, you know, just full discovery. And I'm going to go mm-hmm. to the um, behind the scenes experience Ooh. this weekend so i'll be curious to see what's revealed there i yeah i, I want to talk to you about that afterwards because i do i would i only have to be able to go but i want to i want to know all the secrets um, <laughs> yeah it, yeah it feels like it's like it's it's very like elegant production in the way they do things i think Lee was talking about a little bit with like the hint system and the and how they lead you in and out but it's it's very a smooth integrated experience with kind of everything you're doing um yeah in the show and right. nice to see how something so so rich um, and detailed can be put in such a small space. Mm-hmm. Well, and the space does things that you. Very small space. Yeah, and the space mm-hmm. does things that you. At least I was totally not expecting. I thought it was really magical how the space um, unfolds, and I mean, you know, it, it literally expands beyond what I thought was possible uh, based on the building and, and what I could ascertain about the actual structure. So the space is its own beautiful character and how that, how all of the, the parts and facets and rooms are revealed. Guys, you are driving me insane that I'm going <laughs> to miss this one. And also you're driving me insane because I just did uh, the first show from Doors of Divergence, Heresy 1897. And you know, when one door closes another door of divergence opens and uh you are describing a lot of things that i think you would have a lot of fun with leah if you can come down and join me for the second show please do i think you would love it for everything you're saying so um the benefits of being out in new england right i can uh, i can travel a little bit i'm not uh i'm bi-coastal it's great uh so yeah i'll I'll head down wonderful uh we're going to head back into the, the land of uh, remote work. Um, and Blake, I think you need to say something before we jump fully in here. Yes, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer that uh, although uh, we're going to be chatting about some of the works of Candlehouse Collective, I am personal friends with Evan Nyden, the writer and creative director of Candlehouse Collective. So I'm going to try not to let that color my commentary. Uh, but just in the interest of full transparency. All right. Thank you for that. 
And yeah, we're going to jump right into um, when a candle has a show, which was I cut myself shaving and it bled so much. So this one actually ran a couple months ago. Um, I reviewed it for the site, so it's up in one of the rundowns somewhere. You can check out my thoughts there. Uh, but it's a show that's, um, it starts out with a call from American National to take a survey. And then that survey ends with a kind of bizarre question about uh, blood. And then it spins out from there over texts, calls, uh, video calls, and it touches on a bunch of different themes um, around a different thing. A lot of different things kind of like American society right now and kind of how it ties into this. So before we get fully into it, um, this is a spoiler warning. I don't know if they're going to rerun the show, but we'll probably get into some in-depth discussion here over the next few minutes um, between me and Blake about this. So uh, just that's your spoiler warning up top. And uh, Blake, what were your what were your thoughts on the show? So, in a word, um, intense, um, it is unhinged, maybe. Um, I am a big fan of this show, don't get me wrong, but this is not a show that really fits the standard Candlehouse mold at all, which is funny because I don't think the other show we're going to be talking about today fits the standard Candlehouse mold. This was a show through their Firestarter initiative, so we're getting a different writer than their usual writer. Um, but this show really hit some great comedic highs, and I had no idea where it was taking me up until the very end. But more specific than that, um, I can also see it being deliberately a very abrasive show, and I kind of wonder what the general audience reaction was, because this was... This was a show that really did its best to humorously and intentionally alienate its audience. And Blake, yeah, I think I, you and I are the only ones that did this, but I would be curious to see what more people thought about the show. Because the the beginning, you spend a lot of time talking to one guy who's just a very strange man. He has very uh, interest in, in German cinema and kind of these different things. And he wants to talk to you about about these zines that he's made and the zines are, are, are weird. It's like Hambeth, I think is the, is the Hambeth, the erotic portmanteau slash fic of Hamlet and Macbeth. Shakespeare had to put them in two separate plays because if he didn't, they would have had sex. No, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. And he vacillates emotionally wildly between being very needy and very, you know, intimate with you and then towards the end of the show getting accusatory and abrasive and everything that goes wrong you know he says it's your fault for not you know making better decisions for him and you, you really bounce from topic to topic incredibly quickly but that almost works to the piece's advantage as i almost want to say like a character study critique on capitalism about mm -hmm. you know what happens to the oddballs and the dreamers in a society that will just chew them up and spit them out well and it you spend so much time with him that it it does a lot of work building that relationship i think you're on the phone with him for almost like 45 minutes the first time just talking to him about all of his random interest and that the show pays that off near the end and the show is almost like three hours long start to finish and you're not talking to someone the whole time, but there's things happening with, with texts and phone calls and different things. And so by the time you get to the end, I think you really actually 
felt like you've built a kind of natural connection with with Paul, who is the main character. Um, and it works when you get to this kind of like this moral quandary at the at the back end of the show um, that ties in kind of these themes of, of capitalism and class solidarity and unions and all these different things that it that it does. It works. It's like it is a very strange show, but it it worked for me. It, it, there is so much to think about at the end of the show that I almost don't care if the specifics are so wildly all over the place because at the end of the day it almost i almost want to call it a collage more than anything because you get these you know you can focus on the little bits and pieces but that's not the point the point is this tapestry they weave of an only slightly exaggerated version of someone suffering under are terrible systems yeah like it it sort of portrays itself as like kind of dystopian but it's not it's not that far removed from reality like i don't if you sub out like the metaphor of blood for money it's like i don't that's the u.s medical system as it is today like i don't shit sucks like i i was so close you know just sidebar for a second i was so close um because there is a second call with uh, the delightful Katie Murphy playing Amelia Chartreuse, a representative of American <laughs> National that is desperate to, you know, get you to give almost literally your pound of flesh. Um, but I was so tempted to argue with her about like, well, no, I'm gay. I can't give you my blood. It's illegal in the U.S., don't you know? Just so long as we're we're playing these games. but. You know, props to James LaBella, the the writer of the piece, because, you know, for all of its broadness, and you mentioned it jumps around all over the place, there is a lot about German cinema, there is a lot of, there's a brief segment where you roleplay as this, as Paul, the guy you're talking to, as his sugar daddy, and that is so much, um, but between all of that, there is so much specificity to all of the characters that it really gives it some verisimilitude. You know, all of the weird MLM stuff among, once you get to the American National segment. I don't know about you, but I'm like mildly obsessed with MLMs. I don't want to say I love them because they're horrible, but you know, they're an object of morbid fascination for me. So once you once i started literally googling and being like oh no the pampered chef is actually a real terrible ml yeah that was kind of when i was just like oh my god this is literally just one degree further than where we are today so i'm gonna jump in i want to ask a question it, you mentioned like what a departure this is from the standard candlehouse collective format and it sounds like first of all there's the length I mean, I've done Candle House, I think I've done eight shows total, and it varies from anywhere, you know, 15 to 20 minutes on the short end to I think each and every was 90 minutes. Um, and so there's a couple of things. There's This is incredibly um, time intensive compared to the other shows. There's multiple characters. Most Candle House shows are one-on-ones. There's different kinds of media 
uh, like you're saying, there's, you know, video calls, there's texting. I mean, there's some texting in other shows as well, but it sounds like they really kind of blew open the format in a lot of ways. And did you find that to be effective? Did you find that to be cohesive? I, I found it to be effective here. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't want that for something as intimate as, say, each and every or my personal favorite Candle House show, which not a lot of people have done. And I'm always frustrated because I want more people to talk to about it. Uh, good morning. Um, something that intimate. No, I wouldn't want all these bells and whistles. However, for a show that it seems to be primarily going for overwhelmed as its biggest emotion, it worked beautifully. Um, the, the other thing is just sort of the tone was very much a departure from Candle House. Because I know Candle House, you know, having done a fair number of their shows myself, they usually go for either this sort of melancholy Twilight zone horror, or they go for this, you know, kind of intimate, Im reflective emotionality. And this was very much in, like, full absurdist dark comedy satire mode that, you know, it, it almost, Brechtian has become one of these overused words in immersive, and so I hate using it because it makes me sound like a jerk, but, but the way that the actually quite funny humor did serve to divorce you from emotional investment in certain aspects really did work to hammer home the metaphor and the moral game of the piece. So it, it's also this real tonal departure, um, which, which is interesting. And, you know, even if it kind of took its cues from Candle House under the guidance of a new writer, I almost want to see some of that energy maybe be brought back into some mainline Candle House shows because I think it serves the remote format well, and there's not a lot of companies doing anything that intense and that deliberately overwhelming in what is usually a more stripped-down medium. And yeah, I think that it serves to to open up the world of the show too, right? Like it, it spends time like you're you're texting, it feels more like true to life when you're like, oh, you're getting these video calls and you're, you're talking to multiple characters across different things. And so it does, it, it plays into that absurdist kind of fiction that the, um, the show is playing with and it, it, it combines really well and it feels expansive and like, it does feel natural to sit on these calls and like, you're talking to these board employees of these companies and you're talking about this multi-level marketing thing. And then, but it's also, there's these kind of stakes that are like kind of slowly bubbling away in the background until it builds up to the end. And it works, it works well. Cause then it's like, by the time you've reached the end is like when the video calls kind of start. So it's like, you've built up to that point from, from texts, from calls, from emails and like different things like that. So it, it hammers it home at the end and like really kind of like helps emphasize the points it's making and like connects you to the character you've been talking to the whole time when you finally see them on the screen. Um, and yeah, it, it works. Before we move on, and this is, you know, a supreme spoiler, so skip ahead if you're concerned about that. I have to ask you, uh, Kevin, what ending did you end up getting? Because that really puts a different 
flavor on the entire piece. So I think I called 911 was how I ended it um, to get someone there to help him rather than trying to like, I think there were three options. It kind of seems like it presents with, and I don't know what happens down any of those other paths. And I think we were chatting a little bit. I think you may have taken the same one. I, I took the same option and you get blasted with a final call from Amelia where all pretense of, you know, niceties, civility among the bourgeois totally break down. And the minute you can't pay up, you know, you are out on the street and you're basically threatened with murder the next time you go to a doctor's <laughs> office. And that was that was a really kind of spooky element to end it on. And I got to admit, for as goofy a piece as it was, I had a doctor's appointment the next day at the dermatologist, and I walked in and was like, oh, you know, there was that one moment. And that's the hallmark of an effective piece to me, that no matter what wild directions it goes in, it sticks with you. This is, this is a, piece that, a piece that sticks to your teeth. So the other show, the other Candle House Collective show that we're going to talk about today is Lennox Mutual. And this is, I think it's less, I mean, it sounds like, and is less of a departure than I cut myself shaving and it bled so much was. But there definitely are some shifts in terms of the structure and in terms of the tone. So I Well, let's dive in. I'm I'm gonna just kind of give, I guess, the, the executive summary. Um please. Uh Lennox Mutual is a company that describes itself as helping you to make the most of the time you have, no strings attached. Uh, and you are in universe calling with an attempt to make an appointment for this program that has all the answers. And you quickly learn that it is a bureaucratic nightmare to get an appointment. And with 20 minutes to role play with a an actor playing an automated phone tree. Uh, it is a live show, even if it is largely a scripted phone tree uh, in format. You pretty quickly discover that there is no way, at least on call one, that you're going to get an appointment. And that is where the big shift is from in format. Um, this is, I believe, the first Candle House show that encourages repeat bookings with promises of changes each time you attend, and maybe, just maybe, eventually a call where you can get an appointment. Yeah, so and I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to back up a little bit just so that it's it's clear to people who are listening who might not have done this yet or, or just aren't familiar with the kind of phone-based shows. So this is very... So as Blake said, it's it's with it's a one-on-one -on -one with a live performer, but the live performer is emulating a um, a recording of a phone menu, a phone tree, and it's a tight twenty-minute session. You do get cut off uh, at twenty minutes. This does not extend. Um, it's very on rails, and it, at least it was not clear to me right from the beginning because again, the description is. Uh, you know, a bit vague. You're not exactly sure what you're going to be doing. You're not exactly sure what your role is or what your goal is. And so for me, and that's not a problem at all, but when I first hopped onto my call and I was exploring the menu and seeing where this phone tree could take me, 
one of the options is to book an appointment, but it wasn't clear, at least from the start, that that might be the like the top priority or sort of the largest goal or the uh, the kind of through line if you do go back. So that's the that's the structure. So I, I know we talked a little bit uh, before the show, and I am very curious about your thoughts because I know you have done this once and I have done this twice. So I can speak a little bit to the changes, but I I remember you mentioning that you were not the biggest fan of the first call. And I actually got a lot out of the first call. So I would love to hear you just sort of give me your thoughts on the experience and then kind of throw in where mine might have differed a little bit. Yeah, and Leah's done Lennox Mutual once and has an upcoming uh, second pass. So it'll be interesting to hear how then this conversation either feeds into and informs or doesn't Leah's second go. I think this Mm. is a good group to to unpack this because we've done a lot of these phone-based shows and I think it's interesting to note or it's at least worthwhile to note that we've we've been here before in terms of a phone centric show that has a phone tree structure. So the Tell Library, we're all big fans of the Tell Library, it is still running now two and a half years after uh, its inception. Um, there's also maybe a little bit less known or less played by specifically the No Pro group is the program, which was made by the San Francisco Neo Futurists. So both of those shows use a phone tree system and structure, and I think to to great effect. The the Tell Library is more operates a little bit more as a neural network, and it really grows and evolves, and it feels deeply, deeply personal and personalized and and customizable, and it also feels very limitless. The program stepped into territory that I think is an interesting bridge between the Tell Library and Lennox Mutual, which was um, kind of exploring the existential absurdities of a phone tree and um, the places that you can go down and how your mind can wander when you are trying to queue through a system or just kind of understand what a particular system is, what your menu options are. Um, that did have both pre recorded and live interaction. So there's some interesting parallels, but I think that what happened for me with Lennox Mutual, and then I want to turn it over to Leah, because I may be the outlier in this group. Um, I've, it felt like a lot of no's. I felt like I ran up against a lot of closed doors. And I think that there is, again, I may be an anomaly, but I think in terms of play testing and figuring out based on the intentionality and the vision of the piece, I just didn't get anywhere. And I left feeling frustrated, which is so, I'm a huge fan of Candle House. And um, I think their work is so deeply resonant. And so I was really surprised by this. After the 20 minutes, I just was kind of, I felt a little shell-shocked. Um, and I think in and of itself, that is an interesting takeaway. If that was the goal, then it was done very effectively and very successfully. 
but I was not in any way inspired to go back. And so I think there's a key difference there between if you're supposed to be left kind of frustrated, that's one thing. But if you, if the goal is to leave you frustrated, but then also entice you to come back, to me, those two things were at odds. Leah, uh, your thoughts, because I would, I would love to hear if you and Laura are kind of on the same page and I'm the odd man out on call one. Hmm. So, um, Laura, the longer you and I do this together, the, the less shocked I'm becoming <laughs> um, <laughs> at our parallel and then divergent reactions, uh, because I completely agree with your take on all of this. I think it was a frustrating experience. Um, I think coming up against a lot of no's is a very good way to describe it. I almost had this feeling like somebody sat down with the prompt of like, what if I, what if I wrote uh, an improv experience where instead of saying yes and, I always said no, but, um, and then turned it into this show. So yeah, super frustrating, uh, super opaque. And of course, that instead of making me hugely frustrated and wanting to run away made me feel like, yeah, okay, clearly I'm missing something here. Like, there's no way that this is the show. Uh, that plus the fact that it's 20 minutes, which felt really short for me um, for a show like this that really encourages exp- or theoretically encourages ex- exploration, really made me feel like this is actually a two part or two plus part show um, divided up into individual shows. And the reason that I'm thinking this is I, I remember seeing somewhere a little notification that um, your choices from one call to the next will carry over. Um, so I'm, I'm still living in hope. It might be that I'm being a bit naive here, but I would like, I would like uh, my optimism to pay off in call two. So I'll let you know how that goes. So I am really in agreement with a lot of what you're saying. And I think I can sort of tie this together with my take on call one. <laughs> And going a little bit into Call 2, although I'll try not to spoil too much for you, Leah. Um, I really liked Call 1. And while I was definitely getting the same emotional palette of frustration and confusion, um, it almost struck me as like a telephone version of Waiting for Godot. This is... if we talk about Lennox Mutual, you know, as a company, it is this company that purports itself to have all the answers that will help you actually make something out of your life that, you know, will will not will make sure you're not wasting time. And then the piece itself comes in and it feels like everything Lennox Mutual puts you through is to waste your time, that you know what you want and all your fussing and worrying about trying to get to a point of clarity is just making you more frustrated and more aware of the dwindling clock you have to find some sort of reason in all of this. And I I ended my call, and we're getting into some slight spoiler territory here. There is There is an option to make a complaint. And the complaints that you have available 
are all these very existential complaints. Um, I remember one of the options was, I thought I would feel something. One of them was, there doesn't seem to be anything here, um, which is the one I took. And in response to that complaint, I started to be read a very intimate, very Candle House-style performance fable. And, and just as the fable reached its climax, snap, the time ran out. And I got unceremoniously booted off the phone. And if, if that is not a perfect little cynical metaphor for life, uh, just when you think you will get some resolution and some clarity, it's all over and you get the boot then I don't know what is. <laughs> well, so, okay, so I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna push back on this um, for fun. And so I think you're absolutely right. I don't disagree with anything that you said, but here's the thing. I don't want, me personally, I do not want to feel like the frustrations of day-to-day -day living are so accurately captured. I, if there's going to be a twist on that, um, because I would say I, I can hear where you're coming from with this waiting for Godot comparison, and yet the absurdities and the heightened, uh, you know, characters and dialogue, um, the the manifestation of the existential crises at the heart of waiting for Godot. I feel like is apparent and it's um, it may not be the most delicious meal in and of itself because of how fraught those existential questions and moments are, but it is, it's still nourishing. Um, I just am going to lean into this food metaphor so hard. So I think that I just felt completely unsatisfied. And I actually did have enough time where I queued through all of those different options about what kind of a complaint I wanted to make. But I still felt like at the end, so even though I appreciated the kind of um, self-awareness within that, that particular menu option and that list, I just felt left with, with nothing really. And there was a, there was a show early, early on in the um in the pandemic um i think may of 2020 and it i reviewed it and it was too close to um it was kind of this alternate work organization you know alternate company and you could be an employee there and it was called quarantine and my core frustration with this even though there were some delightful moments and there were some delightful characters um the my core frustration was that it actually felt too much like a real job. There was a whole Slack workspace. There were these different elements where I was like, this is just too close. And I want more fantasy. I want to be able to push the limits of like, am I in this ridiculous space kind of a la the office? Can I enact uh, some of my work fantasies out in this, <laughs> in this space? And it, it just felt so close to the real thing um, until then, it really devolved into this very absurd space, but I, I felt so alienated. So I think like that's where I'm struggling to understand where is the fantasy in a way that does feel satisfying. So part of the reason I love podcasting with you, Laura, 
is that you always tee me up so perfectly. <laughs> Thank you for that pitch, because that is where I, I personally found, and not to prejudice you, Leah, I thought Call 2 was an utter failure. For all my defense of Call 1 and being so positive on it, Call 2, I basically had your reaction exactly, Laura. This oh, that's interesting. Call 2, you know, it, it adds more content, which I won't spoil because I know Leah is heading right in, and more options, and it starts to expand, and there start to be some some pointed little elements of satire that uh, I'm going to leave for you to discover. Um, but ultimately, that that drip, drip, drip of information, you know, I, I start to discover a little, I started to discover a little bit more about Lennox Mutual as a company, and what kind of services they actually offer. It, it kind of struck me that this, the real departure from a Candle House show is that this isn't a show that is based in emotions. This is a show that's based in information. And the way I've sort of rationalized it, because I'd like to see where this is going, which is why I booked a call three, is... <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm a masochist. Um, but this is almost closer to an ARG, which which oftentimes doesn't have these moments of intimacy, these times for emotional connection. It, it's a chance to be a protagonist in your own mystery. And where I've started to maybe reclaim some enjoyment and start to excite myself for Call 3, and for all I know, Call 3 can lose me. I promise myself if I don't feel emotionally satisfied after Call 3, I'm just not going to keep chasing this white rabbit. This is This is going to be the end of my journey into this corporate wonderland um see i can chase a metaphor a little bit too far too uh, <laughs> I, you, you have my full support on that clearly i i'm almost treating this as a game of discovery that now i'm like okay what is this company what are these weird little recordings of an unknown third party to the call that i'm now getting snippets of at the end of every call and that the tone of after call two was radically different after the tone of the call one kind of post credit scene and treating this as a puzzle show and a puzzle box and where am i going to find that what am i going to find out next you know how am i going to try to crack the code and that's a little sad to me that I've had to kind of treat the show like that. And I'm hoping that, you know, after call three, maybe the emotional landscape opens up a little bit and I start to get some clarity about what the themes are. But call two, you know, even my waiting for Godot metaphor fell apart because comparison, not metaphor, the comparison fell apart because you don't get a second shot at meaning. You don't get a second shot at life. And that existentialism falls apart once you, once you kind of follow the trailhead and are treating this as a mystery, not a dreamscape, if that makes any sense. So I'm very excited to get Leah's take on Call, uh, call 2. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I think as we like wrap this up, 
Leah, any any like final thoughts and or has what Blake has said, kind of my same question with the nest, like has what Blake has said about his call to, is that influencing any ways that you're going to, that you think you're going to go into this? No, no, not at all. Um, I think what I'm realizing while y'all are talking is uh, I might take a perverse satisfaction out of regular phone trees that other people <laughs> don't find <laughs> interesting or compelling. <laughs> Uh, wait, I don't no, mind no, no, don't, 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 wait, don't move on from that. What is okay, it? Okay. What is it that is so that it like is delightful to you or what is it that you enjoy about it? Uh, the fact that they have to be created, I think is fascinating. And, you know, a lot of older phone trees, especially like corporate didn't sit down and, plan out the most effective way to deal with customers who call in. A lot of older phone trees <laughs> were given over to IT or the receptionist and, you know, just said, hey, make it work, <laughs> do this thing. So I think it's, it can be, phone trees can be a window into the human decision-making process, the human thought process in a way that you don't always get to see. And I think this is less and less so as we start moving into eras um, uh, where we're dealing with you know, only phone trees through UPS or Amazon or whatever, and you can't talk to a real person ever. <laughs> but um, so far in my life, I've, I've kind of enjoyed trying to figure out that process and think, okay, the person who made this phone tree, how are they organizing the information and why and where can I find it if I try and think like them a little bit? Yeah. And I think that actually, I mean, Blake, to your point, so I feel like what Leah is pointing out is, I mean, I don't think that, not that you're saying that there's something like quote unquote, like wrong, but I think your approach to treat this as its own mystery adventure, I think absolutely aligns with what Leah is saying about just kind of the inherent nature of phone trees. It It is a really fun structural exercise. I will give it that even even when uh, I'm in, I was in call two, which I found fairly frustrating. I I found myself tickled by the way it, it plays with the form of the phone tree, and also, and I can't get into too many details because I don't want to ruin this for Leah. Plays with the form of the phone tree immersive. Um, I know you mentioned um, what was that Neo Futurists project? Yeah, that's the program. Which I wish I know you mentioned would, the program. Oh, I wish they. Would I know you mentioned that. The, yeah, they mentioned that you mentioned the telelibrary. You start to feel some interesting echoes of how phone tree and phone tree satirizing immersive has sort of evolved in this space. Yeah, um, for sure. And that that's interesting in a kind of meta theater way for like hardcore immersive fans. So I'm looking forward to uh, your take on that, Leah. You know, I, I, I think maybe the reason that I'm finding this less frustrating, um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes after call two, is because I'm, I'm pulling back and looking at it from a phone tree perspective, but also from a theater perspective. And I'm, I'm super curious about what Candle House is thinking. As the... <laughs> oh, wait, well, hold on. that's, wait, that's the thing about Candle House. You mean for this show specifically or as for, Candle for this... House evolves? 
for this show specifically? And I think like it was a question that was in the back of my mind the whole time I was going through the experiences. I mean, you guys know how it is. You're thinking maybe about what you might talk about um, when you bring it to review crew or if you're going to write up a review afterwards. It's hard to turn that little that little shoulder critic off, um, even if you're trying to go in and just experience a piece like a human. Uh, and my little shoulder critic was sitting there sort of whispering, being like, well, okay, what are they trying to say here? What are they... Wow. What's, what are the themes that you're picking up on? Like, why are they structuring it this way? And I think that that was enjoyable for me in a non-puzzle box sort of way, just in a sort of observational human sort of way. So I guess if you have questions about why humans behave the way they do, something like this is a, is a fun observational exercise at the very least. Um, I have a question. Did either of you try singing at your person? Oh, I, I tried multiple songs. Some of them were successes. Some of them were failures. I am so bummed because I, I did try singing, but I had COVID at the time and my voice and tone was so bad. A hundred percent were failures. Well, you may just not have known the right song. Uh, if this, there is an associated uh, subreddit where uh, for this piece where a bunch of kind of repeat players have been trying to compile songs that work so the subreddit is a lot of fun uh you get a link after your first playthrough so if you are looking for this as a puzzle there is an active community to help you along you mentioned loving phone trees though and i think that is a great segue just to talk for a few minutes before we have to go about our options have changed uh Leah, I know you were a huge fan of this show. Okay, Um, okay. I wouldn't say huge fan. I'm just saying that I am an advocate for it and probably the one of us here who really have enjoyed it so far. I I enjoyed it. I I never said I didn't. I just (laughs) it it didn't it didn't necessarily speak to me the way it spoke to you. And I would I would love to hear you just kind of briefly touch on what's groovy about our options have changed. Okay, so uh, this is different from some of the other shows we've spoken about in that there's not a live human component to it. This is fully automated. Uh, it's a it's a show where you can call it up and call for as long or as uh, short as you like, and it your journey is really up to you. We're, we are introduced to a a wellness company and. Um, you can choose through this phone tree to uh, do all sorts of different types of exercises. There's a, a wellness embodiment exercise and, you know, there's some dance music and it asks you to move around. Uh, there's reflection exercises where uh, you can maybe take some time to think about what's, what's important to you and perhaps write it in or share or something. Uh, and what you learn pretty quickly is if you complete these tasks, you uh, you get a little badge texted to you. It's great. I get an achievement badge. I love it. Um, <laughs> and the the whole experience feels, you know, light but rewarding. Sort of sort of intriguing. Maybe not like something you're going to be thinking about for much longer um, until you start getting little audio cues that maybe there's something else going on. You hear you hear a little glitch here or there. You hear. Uh, an invitation to go into the admin menu. And the further you dig around, I won't spoil things too much, but there is another layer beyond this wellness center. 
and I've played for two rounds now, three rounds now, um, all three rounds for between 20 and 45 minutes. Um, I have not gone through all of the options because personally I enjoyed going back to, to re-explore a few things. Uh, and I feel like I am maybe halfway through my overall journey. And <laughs> the mark of something I really enjoyed uh, is present here, which is that I don't want to go back to it because I don't want it to end. Um, I don't know how y'all feel about that, but sometimes That's... it's like you're reading a very good book and maybe you don't want to read the last chapter right away because then it will be over. You don't want to say goodbye. No, I a hundred percent get that. And I I will say, just in terms of satire of wellness culture and um kind of some pointed poking fun at the perhaps banality that some of these prompts can have. Um I'm not gonna name any specific immersive pieces. I don't want to put anyone on blast, but but having having been through a lot of these shows, you you do kind of you kind of get this wellness mush in some shows where it's not really articulated or specific, but it but it has this sort of wheat germ flavor of like this is emotionally healthy for me. And having a show that's willing to give that a little bit of an edge and willing to play around in that space, I think is, is very fun. And that's primarily what I got out of it. Mm. Um, Laura, I'm, I'm interested to hear your experiences, which I know were a little less positive. Um, but no, I did no, want to no. share I it. haven't done, I, I've done one of the other phone-based shows that we were kind of knocking around and uh, thinking we might get to uh, is this, that is the name of the show oh. is this, but I actually haven't done our options have changed. So, um, I mean, we may need to just carry this. I think we, we've certainly got, um, food for thought for a second episode with Leah's second round of Lennox mutual. We could always dive into this. If we take things further with our options have changed, like I know Patrick's gotten into it, but I haven't yet. Yes. <laughs> It, it feels like a good place to put a pin in this because yeah. there is so much more exciting remote work coming. And I feel like we are, we are just at the tip of the iceberg here. And I think we're going to, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I am really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on call two and on working through to the end of our options have changed because I haven't either. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, you know, like, I'd, like to leave, I'd like to leave people with, with one thought about our options have changed. Um, and I think it's applicable across the board for almost all immersive here. Um, what you get out of this show is, I think, what you put into it. And there are lots of things that you could just sit back and listen to. There's no requirement for you to follow along. Uh, but the show is actually pretty physical if you buy into it fully. And I think when you do that, it's really rewarding and interesting. And you you get a lot of insight into your own life and experience that I think you wouldn't necessarily get from just, you know, watching a playthrough. So on that note, 
I think this has down. been the no pro review crew. Uh, thank you so much to Kevin, who sadly had to drop halfway through this call. Laura, Leah, this has been a blast as always. And just as a reminder to you all, no proscenium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you hear on podcasts and read on the site are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to the No Proscenium Patreon. Just $2 or $5 a month helps. If you're enjoying Review Crew or the main No Proscenium podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, this has been Blake Weil, Laura Hess, and Leah Davis. And this has been a pleasure as always. Thank you again, and take care. See you next Review Crew.